0: Turn to the book of Obadiah if you can find it. Uh, Make for a great little Bible drill to look for uh, Nahum and Obadiah and Zephaniah and books like that. Obadiah happens to be the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, So we're going to do the seemingly impossible tonight. We're going to cover a whole book in one night. That's I know. So we're going to stay here as long as it takes. Uh, Twenty-one long verses. No, I'm teasing. But we, should, we should be able to, to finish it up. And you wonder why, you know, sometimes you look at some of these books and you wonder why in the world are, in, are they in the Bible? You know, what, what do we care about the Edomites? I mean, who are the Edomites and, and what does that mean to us here in the 21st century? Let's let's look at this little book for a minute. Well, first of all, it's written by a guy named Obadiah. Uh, in Hebrew, that's Obad, Yah. So Yah is what? Yahweh, Obad is servant, so he his name means the servant of Yahweh. and it could possibly not be a proper name, but just a particular servant of Yah, Yahweh who who wrote this little book. There actually are thirteen Obadiahs mentioned different Obadiahs mentioned in the Old Testament. This guy more than likely wasn't even one of them. and a lot of people try to pin the authorship on one of those, 13 people in the Bible, but I think it's uh, I think it's really hard to do, and I don't think uh, uh, you can do that because there's not enough information given here. We're not even given the name of his father, which is kind of unusual because usually uh, whenever a prophet uh, or a man of God or even an evil man is mentioned, usually the name of the father is mentioned too, and so uh, we don't even get that in this little book. All we know is that he's writing about this judgment or are speaking this judgment against the Edomites. It's Edomites. And it's a very severe judgment. It's one of those judgments where God says, you're going to be totally wiped off the face of the earth. And, and so the prophet's predicting that. Why were they going to be wiped, totally wiped off the face of the earth? Because when Israel had been invaded, they didn't offer Israel any help. And... Uh, we don't know which invasion that uh, Obadiah is speaking of because Israel was invaded on several occasions. A lot of scholars believe this refers to the invasion by the Philistines around 800 B.C. Uh, but that really doesn't fit the text because if you were to look ahead, and you don't have to do that, I am just read it to you, but if you look ahead to verse number 11, the prophet says, you just stood by and watched while the enemy carried away captive the people of Israel. So more than likely, it refers to the Babylonian captivity around 586 B.C. Uh, And and, uh, I have to, I think that's about the date I agree with. So maybe Obadiah wrote this book a year or so after that, around 587 B.C., But when Israel was invaded by Babylon, how many nations came to their aid? How many? Zero. Zero. So why is God so mad at the Edomites for not coming to their aid? If no other nation came to their aid, you'd think maybe God would judge all the nations. Well, eventually he is going to judge all the nations. But why did he, in this particular case, does he pick upon the Edomites? Well, who was Edom? Where do we get Edom? It's Esau. That's another name for Esau. Red, it means red, and he had red hair. So he was called Edom. And he was who? He was Jacob's brother. So the Edomites were kin to the Israelites. But yet their whole history is a history of hostility toward the Israelites instead of friendship toward the Israelites. And, and you remember, you can go back and look at Exodus and Numbers, and you can see where the Edomites, they the Israelites asked the Edomites for help, and the Edomites said, no, we don't even want you crossing through our land. We don't want anything to do with you. Uh, then when Saul becomes king, they fought against Saul. They fought against David. David subdued them and put them into servitude. Uh, but uh, no sooner did David died, than they rebelled again against Solomon. Uh, they were... They fought against uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, uh, Amaziah. uh, So they were constantly battling against the Israelites as their enemies when they should have been their friends. And so uh, they had a history of this. And it's really kind of ironic because the only time they sided with Israel was when when the Romans attacked Israel in 70 AD during the Jewish rebellion. And the, that's when the Edomites were totally destroyed. They actually went into captivity with Israel under the Babylonians. Even though they started out helping the Babylonians defeat Israel, then they were conquered and defeated. Then later on, they were uh, defeated by the Nabataeans. And the Nabataeans, around the 5th century B.C., drove them down into southern Palestine, and they became the Adameans. you know who the Adameans were? Those were the Herodians. That's where Herod comes from. So Herod was actually an Edomite. And so uh, their whole history is one of hostility, not only against uh, Israel, but really ultimately against who? Against the Lord. It was Herod who had a big play or big part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so they've got a pretty sordid history, and and, uh, you can see why God is about to judge them or in this book in this time Obadiah is writing about this uh prediction of their their judgment. All right. So anyway, you go actually it was written around a year I said 580 probably around 5 uh uh 585 BC somewhere around that time. All right. Let's go to let's go to the text now and listen to the the little book here. Not much to it, but uh It's in the word of God, and it's the word of God for us today for some reason, and that's what we want to figure out here as we look at the book. Look down at verse number one. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, and then he he breaks for a second. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against uh, Edom for battle. So the Lord was raising up an army to defeat the Edomites. And listen to what he says, I'm going to do to you. The Lord says, behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you will be greatly humiliated or greatly despised. And why is the Lord going to do that? Because of that. The number one sin of all mankind is one word. What is it? What is it? What's the big sin, the root of all sin? Well, unbelief, but one other one. What is it? And unbelief is based upon what? Pride. Pride. Really, unbelief is the one you would nail as, as uh, the root of all sin, but really, unbelief and pride, it, it, from a biblical or spiritual sense, are almost synonymous. They almost work out to be the same thing. You don't believe in God, not because you can't. Uh, mankind doesn't uh, dis disbelieve in God because there isn't any evidence of God. They refuse to believe in God because of their pride. And so really those those sins are both uh, just about the same thing biblically. All right, so he says in verse number three, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rocks. Now, the Edomites or the Nabataeans, we're not sure, but more than likely the Edomites built the city of Petra in the cleft of the rocks. You've seen pictures of the city of Petra, and I believe it's in modern-day Jordan now, but uh, uh, it was built or started by the Edomites, and they really thought they were something. They thought they were living in an impenetrable fortress, and they could never be taken down. He says, the pride of your heart has deceived you because you are going to be taken down, you who dwell in the cleft of the rocks, whose habitation is on high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Well, who's going to bring them down to the ground? The Lord's going to bring them down to the ground. You know, really, in the Edomites, the Israelites, and every nation you read about in the Bible, you really get a picture of the heart of mankind, just how prideful the heart of mankind is. And really, that reeks of what? It reeks of ingratitude. I mean, we are, humans are so ungrateful to God for all that he's given us. And, and uh, uh, I mean, this didn't just all of a sudden happen to the Edomites. Whose was their father? Their forefather was a guy named Esau. You talk about a prideful man. He was a prideful man. I mean, he gave lip service to the Lord, but, but really who... Did he put his trust in? He put his trust in himself, in his own strength. I mean, he was given one of the greatest blessings or access to one of the greatest blessings ever. And he sold it for a bowl of lentils too because he, he, really he really didn't want it. He didn't care about it because he really didn't care about the Lord because he was a man full of pride. And that's why when you get to the book of Malachi, when the Lord's it, I mean, Esau's long gone, but the Lord says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Because Why? Because one of the things that God hates the most, if not the most, is pride. He hates pride. He hates human pride. And uh, so uh, uh, God hates men and women who are full of pride, who have no gratitude for the things that he's given us. You know, I know a lot of people out there, they somehow think that everything they've have they've made those things for themselves. That they're, they've they've blessed themselves. I mean, and they fail to realize that every blessing stems from God and from his creation and from his grace and from the blessings that he gives us. I mean, this earth we live on. Where, who created this earth? It didn't just happen. That's why people want to say it just you know, happened through some big bank. It didn't happen, God created this earth. It's God's earth. Uh, I mean, the sun that gives us light and gives us warmth every day. Where do we get that? We get that from the Lord. The rain that waters the crops, we get that from the Lord. These bodies that we inhabit, where do they come from? They come from the Lord. Every natural resource that we have on this earth that we use to make the things that we like, They, it all comes from the Lord and how arrogant it is to deceive ourselves into somehow believing that, that they've come from ourselves, that they've come from mankind, mankind labors and makes things, but he couldn't make anything if it wasn't for the things that God has given us. And here were these Edomites who didn't think they needed God or had any obligation to God and, and, uh, uh, they didn't have any obligation to God's people, the Israelites. And so, uh, they had built for themselves this impenetrable fortress. And they said, Hey, we don't need the Lord. We don't have to like God's people. Uh, who can bring us down? Well, God answers that proud attitude in verse number four with a verse that sounds very familiar to some of the other prophets that we've been listening to. Uh, uh, Though you ascend from high as, as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. There's no place that you can hide from God. Haven't we seen that over and over again? We know that because God is omnipresent. God is omnis- omniscient. He knows all things. He's present everywhere. He's all powerful. There's no way to run from God when God gets ready to judge a person or judge a nation. There's no, when, when, when the, your day comes up uh, and all our days are numbered, you, you, there's nothing you're going to do. There's no doctrine in the world that can, can, can give you another day on this earth when God is ready for us to, to depart this, this place and go somewhere else, whether that be heaven or, down, uh, or to Hades. I mean, there's no running from God when our time is up. There's no running as a nation or a people when, when God is ready to judge a nation. Then he says in verse number 5, If thieves had come to you, if robbers by the night, and leave the little paraphrase there off for a second. Let me read the whole sentence. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by the night, would they not have stolen till they had had enough? And then they would have left you something. I mean, if somebody breaks into your home, if somebody's in my house right now breaking into my house, more than likely they'll, they'll look for my guns and my TV and a few things, and then they'll get out of there. They won't take every stick of furniture. They won't take... The towels, they won't take the dishes. Uh, they, they take the things that are valuable and easy to sell. So you're left with something. Uh, if a grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleaning? I mean, those marauders that would come through the land, those Midianites, they would come down and they would, they would raid their crops. But they could only take so much with them, so there was something left. But, but, but look what the Lord says in the middle of all this. He says, oh, oh how are you going to be cut off? Not, there's not going to be anything left of you. There's not going to be anything to glean. There's not going to be anything left to steal. You're going to be totally destroyed. There's going to be nothing left of you. And, and we're going to see in a minute when the Israelites are judged, there, there was a remnant that was left. There was a gleaning left. To, there was something left uh, to take. They weren't totally destroyed, but the Edomites are going to be totally destroyed. Look down at Uh, Verse, uh, read verses 6 through 10 with me. It says, Oh, how the Lord shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. And I think maybe there he's speaking of the Babylonians because they thought they were cheering on the Babylonians to destroy Israel because they had a peace treaty, but the Babylonians were going to come after them too. Uh, then he says, those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. While will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise man from Edom. There's not going to be anybody left. Not even the wise are going to be left. And understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty man, O Teman, and that was the big city there in, that the Edomites, where their capital was, shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So they're going to be totally destroyed because, listen, why? Verse number 10. For violence against your brother Jacob, because of your violence against Israel, shame shall cover you, and watch this. It can't get any worse than this. And you shall be cut off forever. I mean, the judgment is going to be a total wipeout. There's not going to be anything left of the Edomites. Now, go try to find some Edomites today. Anybody know any Edomites? No, you don't know. If somebody tells you they're an Edomite, they don't know what they're talking about because there's no such thing as an Edomite anymore. They're all gone. They've been wiped off the face of the map forever. There will never be a nation of Edom again. And then in verse number 11, he says, In that day... You shall stand on the side in the day that the strangers carried captive his forces. For foreigners entered the, his gates and cast his lots for Jerusalem. Even you were as one of them. Because you stood by and watched. When, the, when Babylon, Babylon came down and, and, and destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, and took the Israelites captive, hey, you were just as bad as they were because you were sitting there and what the Edomites were doing, they were, they were hoping that they were going to take a spoil from this, this uh, destruction of Israel. And so they wanted them to, to, to get beaten up bad. Then in verse number 12, But you should not have gazed in that day in, on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah uh, in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. Hey, you know, if you followed along through the minor prophets, and I know probably all of you have read them through at some time or the other. It's, I don't recommend it highly for devotional reading every night, but I'm sure if you've read through your Bible, you've read through them. And uh, it's really interesting if you look at this whole scenario from God's viewpoint. Who brought the Babylonians down to destroy Israel. Who did that? God. The Lord did. And yet you read through the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Lord prophesied destruction of Babylon because of what they did to Israel. He made them do it. And then he judges them for doing it. He used their will, gave them the permissive will and the ability to do it. And yet that he judges them later on for doing it. They're destroyed by the Persians themselves. And here are the Edomites who are watching this judgment of Israel. And could they have stopped it if they had helped Israel? No, the Lord had set it in stone that Israel was going to be judged. So whether they laughed at it or whether they, they went and helped whatever they did, Israel was going to be judged anyway, but God judges them because of their attitude toward their brother. Now, there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there for all of us. I I hear a lot of these teachers, and I maybe have been guilty of this myself in the past, so I'm not going to pick on the teachers, but we have a tendency sometimes to cheer on the great tribulation to cheer on the judgment of god on a wicked people well that's dangerous because i don't believe in the brotherhood of mankind but in some way we're all kin to adam and and i mean not in some way we are all kin to adam and so In some way, there is a brotherhood and a sisterhood in the human race. And for us to cheer on the destruction of mankind and for us just to get raptured out of here and get them Lord, that's the wrong attitude to have. That's the attitude the Edomites had. The Edomites were wicked people and they saw the Israelites were wicked people and they were cheering on when they got destroyed. I mean, we should long for the day of the Lord so that, Justice will rule on this earth so that we'll be taken out of here and, and we'll be with the Lord and we'll, we'll be able to have the peace and joy that we all long for. We long for that day. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But to cheer, the, see, it's kind, of, it's kind of a paradox there. At the same time, to cheer on the death of other people and the destruction of other people, that's, a wrong, that's the wrong heart to have. What should all of these prophecies do for us? They shouldn't motivate us to go hide in the closet and wait for the rapture. They should motivate us to get some of these people saved, to get our human brothers and sisters. And again, I'm being real careful with that because I don't believe in this this, that we're all going to heaven, that we're all, you know, we're all brothers and sisters of uh, sons and daughters of God because you can't be a son and daughter of God unless you've been born again. But we are sons and daughters of Adam. And our attitude should be one of mercy and kindness and and also at the same time reminding ourselves that we were saved by grace. We were one of those people ourselves. And if God hadn't chosen us to save us and we hadn't chosen him, we would still be out there just like they are. I have to remind myself that all the time. People get be really mad now I'm saved Boy, the way they talk about God and the way that they're in, they're, they're in gratitude, their evil ways, and, and then I not going to say, George, wake up, remember where you were at. Before you got saved, you were no better than them. If I don't wake myself up, guess who wakes me up? The Lord wakes me up and reminds me. And he, he's not as kind to me as I am to myself when he does that. Then in verse number 13, he says, you should not have entered the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. They went to take a spoil. Indeed, you should not have gazed at their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid your hands on the substance, on their substance, on their goods in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to keep them from escaping, nor should you have delivered up those among whom remained in, in the day of their distress. So what you can see in the picture of what they were doing. They were helping the Babylonians out. They were blocking Israelites from escaping And then the ones that escaped They turned them over to the Babylonians How cruel and wicked is that To do that to your brother they were, And they were going to pay for that They were going to pay for it With the Babylonians They were going to pay for it With the Nabateans And then ultimately When Rome destroyed them They were wiped out forever And so Verse number 15 For the day of the For the day of the Lord Upon all nations is near It's near All the people, all the way the Edomites went, the way the Babylonians went, the way the Israelites went, is going to happen to all people. All people at some point. As you have done, it shall be done to you. It's going to happen to you now, the Edomites. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. You know, there's no nation, no person that God is pleased with Unless they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Passover is all about. He passes over our sin. Not because you're a better person or I'm a better person than my neighbor. But because I'm covered in the blood. I've been, I've been uh, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been given his Holy Spirit. That's why God passes over me. That's why he forgives my sin. For you drink on my holy mountain, so shall the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. The Edomites will be as though they have never been. In other words, what you've done to Israel is going to be done to you. And every other nation at some other point. And then we can wrap it up. Can you believe it? Here we go. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. There's deliverance coming. There shall be holiness. It's coming. The house of Jacob will not be wiped out. One day's coming when they will possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau shall be stubble. It will be totally wiped out. One day the Israelites are going to prosper as they never have before, but not, not the Edomites. Could they have? Yes. They'd shown some mercy to Israel. If they had shown some faith in God, some love for the Lord and the Lord's people, they could have prospered too. Not then, but at some point. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain from the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Not one survivor. When it was all over in 70 AD, they were all gone. All of them were gone. The south shall possess, now he's talking about, Israel. Esau, the Edomites, never going back into that land. The south, Israel, shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall be, the Israel shall possess the lowlands of Philistia. Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of his host of children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephah, and the captives of Jerusalem who are in Uh, Sephiroth shall possess the cities of the south. So the Edomites are going to be utterly destroyed but the Israelites are going to get the land that was promised to them through Abraham. They occupy about 30,000 square miles right now. In the millennium they will occupy based upon these perimeters right here And based upon the promises to Abraham, they will occupy 300,000 square miles. So they're arguing over a little bit of land right now, but when the Lord takes charge, there won't be any arguments. There won't be any UN council trying to figure out what Israel's going to get. They're going to get exactly what uh, they were promised through Abraham. And then you guys are in here now. You get to, you get a, you, you're in the next verse. Then saviors, holy ones, saints, shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Well, he doesn't go into any long, drawn-out millennial speech. He just very bluntly says, the Lord is coming with his saints, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. You want to hear about it? Let me read you in Revelation chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on, on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on them that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is called the Word of God, the Logos, Theos. And the armies of heaven... That's us. That's the saviors that'll come into Zion. The armies of heaven, clothed in linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Man, we're part of his army. And you know what you gotta do if you're part of his army? You don't have to learn to shoot an M1 or ride an M1 or anything like that, or M16. You know, what you, gotta, you know what you gotta do? You gotta ride a horse. That's all you gotta do. If you, if you fall off your horse, then you're going to fall a long way. you probably toast. <laughs> but he'll pick you up. You can't die then, so try to hang on. Just follow him, and then he speaks. That's all he does. He speaks. For out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. It's going to be, he's going to be the, a despot like this world has never seen what he says is going to go. We're going to all obey him. We're going to, we obey him naturally by the Spirit, and even more so when we're glorified. But this whole earth, even those who aren't born again, what he says is going to go. And we're going to rule and reign with him to make sure that happens. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords and he will land on Mount Olives on the Mount of Olives and God will pour out his spirit on the nation of Israel and they will look at him whom they have pierced and they will mourn as a mother mourns for her only son and all of Israel will be saved and Obadiah just says it just like this and the kingdom shall be the Lord's forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news you gave us here tonight in this little book of Obadiah, the hope we have, or the hope of, of your soon arrival to, to take us out of here and, and Lord, uh, prepare this world for your coming. Father, but in the meantime, you've given us all a calling, and that's to make disciples, Lord, to, to lead people to, to uh, recognize Jesus Christ as their Savior, to see their need for, sin, for, for a Savior, Lord, to see their sin. Father, we just ask that you, in a powerful way, your, your spirit moves out in this city of Lafayette, in this nation, in this world, and Lord, that we see a great revival before You come, and make us part of that, Lord. We we long to be part of that great revival that You're gonna, we're gonna see before the end times. We just again thank You for, for Your grace and Your Word. We thank You in Christ's name, Amen.